we're starting a new series today called Songs of Hope. And I am so excited to walk through these several psalms with you over the next several weeks. I want to um, read our psalm for today. Then I want us to spend some time in prayer. Um, So go with me to Psalm chapter 1, Psalm chapter 1, and I'll read it for us. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But then verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. So we will be in this series until the end of April, all the way until April 24th. And the English title psalm comes from the Greek word psalmos, which translates to song, okay? So the book of Psalms is a collection of 150 poems that express a wide variety of emotions. Now, we are not gonna go through all 150. That would be fun, but not possible. Uh, But you see all kinds of themes in the book of Psalms, from love and adoration towards God, sorrow over sin, dependence on God in difficult circumstances, the battle of fear and trust, walking with God even when the way seems dark and bleak, confidence and the triumph of God's purposes over the world. You see a lot of different themes. And so for us, we're going to look at songs that give us hope. Songs that reveal to us who God is. And these next seven weeks are going to give us as a church an opportunity to focus our attention on the glory of God and the hope of Christ. And each week we're going to look at a psalm that illuminates who God is and who we are before him. And my hope is that as we gather to focus our attention on who God is, that God can center us on who we need to be on the vision that God has, not for a church entity or not for um, something that we want, but for what he wants, for his name and his glory. The book of songs, it's the songbook of the Old Testament, and God gave us songs to help us remember because music helps us remember things, right? Like if I just said the words, let it go, what do you think of? Right? You just want to start singing, let it go, let it go. And now your kids know what movie they're watching today. Um, but that's what we think of. And because we all forget things on a daily basis, right? Whether it's a password or when we're meeting someone or our keys, right? We always forget things, but music helps us remember. Like, I will always remember that the Backstreet Boys once said, You are my fire, my one desire. Believe when I say that I want it that way. When we are two worlds apart, can't reach to your heart. When you say, I want it that way, tell me why, right? (laughs) Like music helps us remember, but it also helps us connect with our emotions, right? 
It helps us feel. It's both instructive and it's also stirring. And it's no accident that our Bible is one-third's poetry. There's a reason for that because we aren't just meant to fill our minds with the things of God. We are meant to feel about God. We are meant to connect with God through our emotions. And my hope is that as we study these Psalms that we would go, I get it and I feel it. I know it in my bones, that we would be moved to action based on that, based on who God reveals himself to be. And so before we jump into our psalm, I want us to consider some ways that we can position ourselves to truly hear from God. It's one thing to say it, right? But what does it look like to position ourselves to hear from God? And I mentioned this before, but we are at a critical point as a body, as a church. Um, With the calling of new elders, I'm going to be bringing recommendations today, and that's going to start a month for us of praying, asking questions, reflecting, diving into the scriptures together on if these are the men that God would have lead. Um, We're at a critical point. Um, And there there are three things that I want to challenge each of us to do throughout the next seven weeks. Three things that I want us to position ourselves um, to hear from God. And I believe that if we do these three things, if we commit to do these, and one, God will heal us. There's a lot of pain in this room. Pain just from life in general, but pain from the last several months, but there is a lot of pain. And I know that because I've had many conversations with people, and I'm sure there's a lot I haven't had with those of you that are in a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt and a lot of processing going on. We need to refocus our priorities. We need to refocus our minds and our hearts on God and allow the space to position ourselves for God to heal us. We cannot attempt to do the work of God without God. We can't heal ourselves. We can't do this on our own. We don't have the resources. We don't have the influence. We don't have the ability to make things happen. Only God can move as he pleases. So it would do us well to ask the question, God, what do you desire from us? The second thing I believe God will do is God will give us clarity on our calling. We need to remember who God has called us to be. What do we care about here? What is the priorities here? I think we need to remember, you know, you can look at mission statements and say, okay, they're, they're man-made, but, but God gave us a vision here. Renewal church, church exists so that people will be made new in Jesus, that they will grow in Jesus and be released into the world for Jesus. So what does that mean to us? Does it have any value? What does it mean to be made new in Jesus? What does it mean to grow? What does it mean to be released into the world? The third thing that I believe that God will do over these next seven weeks is he will lead us to be a healthy church. We cannot be a healthy faith family if we are not a praying faith family. We cannot be a healthy faith family if we do not know how to listen to the Spirit or to walk by the Spirit. We cannot be a healthy faith family if we are not diving deep into the words, the revealed word that he's given us. And so I want us to be in a position where we can truly be made new, where we can truly grow, and where we have clarity on where and how we are released into the world. And so there's three things that I want us to do to position ourselves to really hear from God. And the first one is I would like for us as a church to fast, that we would fast as a faith family. Um, I would like for all of us to participate in some way or another 
in fasting. Now, some of you may be familiar with the practice of fasting. Some of you have no idea what that means. But fasting is the practice of periodically putting aside food as a physical expression of a spiritual reality. So to say more than our bodies are dependent on food, our souls are dependent on God. Because in the Bible, fasting is mentioned everywhere. Time and time again, you see fasting is used where a group of people uh, position themselves to need God and to hear from God. One example is Acts 13. Acts 13 too, it says, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So they fast to hear. And then when they hear, it says, then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So I want to invite you to consider fasting in some way or another over the next seven weeks. Maybe it's one meal a day. Maybe it's one full day a week. Maybe it's multiple days a week. I want you to consider what best fits your family and your rhythm in life. And what we, when we do this, what we are saying is, what's most important in my life is not my physical nourishment. My spiritual nourishment is much more important. That fasting is a physical expression of our need for God. So when you get hungry and you say, man, I really wish I had a sandwich, that you would say, no, more than a sandwich, I need God. And you would take the time to focus on him. So if you're a note taker, write this down. It's an easy way to remember the purpose of fasting. I'm going to give you, fun, three acrostics today, okay? Uh, and I'll post all these on Slack if you're in Slack later and try to remind you of these each week to, to keep these in your mind. But our first acrostic of the word today is the word fast. F stands for focus on God. The whole point of fasting is to focus on God. It's not look, to look spiritual in front of others. Matthew warns against that in Matthew 6. It's not to try to earn God's favor as if fasting can earn you the blessings of God. But the point of fasting is to say, God, I want you and I need you more than anything in this world, even more than food. And that leads to A, abstain from food. The reason fasting and food naturally go together, and this is going to sound kind of strange, but food is a God-given addiction. We're all wired to need food. Like literally, we need food in order to survive. We get up in the morning, and we're hungry. We get up, uh, we hit lunchtime hits, and we're hungry. Two o'clock hits, we want a snack. When we're bored, we eat. When we watch a movie, we eat popcorn, right? We are wired to eat. Food. So the reason that the Bible connects food and fasting together is because it sets into motion the surrendering of something that we actually need and saying, no, we have a greater need, even greater than food. Now, some of you have some sort of physical condition, so this wouldn't, isn't doable for you or potentially even dangerous. I would say, ask the question, what is the closest thing to a God-given addiction like food that there is out there? Something that can create the same need that food does, that, that is a wise decision for that. So look for a close substitute to a God-given addiction, but that it would be a reminder that you need God. And that leads me to S, substitute the time with prayer and God's word. So instead of taking that hour for lunch, you take that time and set aside time for prayer and the word and establish a rhythm a rhythm of communing with God 
of reading his word, of asking God to clarify his calling in your life, going behalf on this body. And what happens is it's not just that at noon that you're hungry, but it's at 2 o'clock and 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And those hunger pains start to sink in, right? And ideally, that would lead you to pray throughout that day. God, I really want a big, fat burrito. But more than food, I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. I need to stand in your truth. I need your guidance. It drives us to prayer all day long. And in that process, you get to experience the depth of God's love that maybe you would not have had before because you positioned yourself to need him. And that leads to T, taste and see that, the God, that, that God is good. Psalm 34, verse 8 through 10, it says, Oh, taste and see, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack, have no lack. The young lion suffers want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good that God is glorified when we say, with you, we lack no good thing. So I want to call us as a church through the end of this series, which ends at the end of April, April, to fast for God, to position ourselves to hear from God, whether it's a certain meal or a day or multiple days a week, that you would ask the Spirit what he would have you and your family do, how you would go about this. I don't want to control you in this, and I want to put you in a box. I want you to walk with the Spirit and the Lord and, and make that decision yourself. Make wise decisions based on health and schedules, but make it something where you feel the need for Him, where you feel the need, where the world is minimized and the need for God is maximized. So focus on God, abstain from food, substitute with prayer in God's Word, and taste and see that God is good. So that's the first thing I want us to do. The second thing that I would like for us to do as a church throughout this series is to pray. Individually and together, that over these next several weeks, I want us to pray more than we normally do. That's going to mean something else for each person in here, something different for each person. But just think, sacrificially, where I am positioning myself to pray and to commune with God more than I normally do. And we're going to spend extra time together in our home groups, and as a church to pray. Specifically, mark your calendars for March 25th, okay? March 25th, we will be doing an all-night prayer night, an all-night prayer night. Now, I'm not asking you to come from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. It's come and go, Um, but if you want to come all night, I mean, you're more than welcome to. Um, That's great, but it's come and go. So if you want to go, come from 8 to 8.30, Great. If you want to come from 2 a.m. to 2.30, awesome, right? And so I want you to have some freedom in this. Um, If you have a spouse and kids and one of you wants to go for an hour here and the other one wants to go for an hour there, perfect. But that date is March 25th, and we will be doing this at the 702 house at First Baptist Belton. If you don't know what that is, it's a house on the First Baptist Belton property where our launch team met. So before this ever existed, there was a group of us that met and we prayed and we sought the Lord and God gave us the vision that he wanted for who we are to be. And I want us to go back there, forgive all of us an opportunity to go back there and say, okay, God, who are we before you? (laughs) Who are you? What is our purpose here? 
and to refocus our minds and hearts on God. And so that's March 25th. But I want you to be praying as individuals too. And so consider with your family, how can you position yourself to commune with God? How can you position yourself to hear from God through prayer? And if you aren't sure what to pray, here's another acrostic, and we've used this before, but P stands for praise God. Praise God for who he is and thank God for what he has done. So spend time worshiping God for who he is. Put on some music and sing, whether you have a great voice like my wife Katie or an awful voice like me, right? Just sing. Sing to your God. Remind God. A lot of, a lot of prayer, if you read the prayers in our Bible, it's that person reminding God who he is. And when they're reminding God, they're reminding themselves, God, you say you are this. God, you are this. God, you keep your promises. God, you have said this. And so in your prayer time that you would praise God, remind yourself and God who he is. He already knows, but that's a practice that's set out so that we can remember who God is. It's declaring, right? God, we need you. Praise be to you. And then R, repentance. Repentance is beautiful. It's not a bad word like we think it is a lot of time. It's declaring that we are settling on the things of this world that are lesser and that are not worthy of our worship. And it's declaring to him that we want to run to him because he is better. That in repentance, we are stripping away. God is stripping away the things that are dissatisfying, the things that lead us to our own destruction, the things that are lesser, and he's putting on hope, love, joy, satisfaction. And so that we would spend time as a faith family and as individuals repenting. And then A, ask. Ask God to intercede in your life and in the lives of others. And let's remember, let's not ask based on our abilities, based on what we think we can, this is really important, based on what we think we can accomplish, When we ask God for things, let's not base it on what we can do, on who we are, on our holiness, on our resources, but let's ask God based on who he is, on what he is capable of doing, on what he can accomplish. So if we consider who we know God to be, if we consider his authority, his resources, his mercy, his spirit, if we consider who he is, what would change about the way we pray? How would that change the way we pray? How would that change the things that we ask for? And I'm excited to see what God reveals to us as a faith family, what God reveals to us about what he wants, what he is asking of us, and then yield. yield. Why? Yield to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Surrender your life to follow Jesus however and wherever he leads you, that we would yield our families, we would yield our money, we would yield our careers, our pride, our futures, that we would yield all of it, with, and we would come to him with empty hands and say, we are yours. Do with us as you please. Find creative ways to pray, right? Write out your prayers. Um, gather with another family or with another individual and pray every week. And so think of some creative ways to do this. So remember the acronym, praise God, repent for your sins, ask God in yield to God. The third thing that I want to challenge us is to see God in his word, to see God in his word. So one more acrostic. We're going to be using the word maps to help us remember to focus on God's work. This week, I'm going to be redesigning our home group discussion guides to match this model. But M, meditate and memorize 
God's word. So when we come to the Bible, we're not just going to be passive about it as if we were checking a box, but we want to intentionally focus on what God is saying in his revealed words, that we ponder what he is saying. That reading the Bible is not like reading a fiction book or scrolling through Facebook. No, we stop and consider, God, what are you saying here? What does this reveal about me? What does this reveal about you? We're stopping, we're listening to the voice and to the leading of the Spirit. We're, we're listening and we're saying, what's the, what's the point here? What does this tell us about who you are? We ask questions like, God, who's writing this? Why are they saying it? What does it reveal about my family? And we stop and we take a breath and we listen. And then we memorize. When you say something over and over again, it, it cements itself in your soul. You know this, right? Because you've, all right, let's do an example. Finish this jingle. All right, let's see if you know this. The best part of waking up. Why do you know that? That's 20 years old, right? Because when so many of you were younger, you heard it over and over and over again until you realized when you were adult that Folgers is a terrible coffee, <laughs> right? But you bought it because it was cemented in your soul that the best part of waking up is Folgers in your cup, and you're like, liar. But memorization, it helps us, right? As we walk throughout the day, this is who God is. This is who he said me to be. And so meditate and memorize. A, apply. Apply, apply God's word to our lives. Head, heart, hands. We ask, how does what I just read transform my thoughts, my desires, and my actions? My head my heart, and my hands. Because what you think about is what you care about. And what you care about is what you chase. So what are you filling your mind with that is creating affections for you, that is creating a path for you? My head, my heart, and my hands. And then P, pray. Pray God's word back to him. That when you come to God to pray, that you would pray his word back to him. And so this week, I hope that you take the truths that we're about to talk about in Psalm 1, and you would pray those words back to God. And then S, share. Share what God is showing you in his word with others. And I hope that God would create a culture here, an environment, where sharing the word of God with one another is natural, where it's our practice not just to talk about how stressful life is, or to talk about the game the other day, or to talk about what we practically did throughout the week, but that we would have a rhythm of sharing the words of God with one another. And then in that, we, as we are filled with the words of God, that that would naturally overflow into the world. And that we would share the words of God with others who don't know him, who are lost, blind, confused, and dissatisfied, and they don't even know it. And that we would share the words with them. And so maps, meditate and memorize, apply, pray, and share. All right, I know, that was a very long introduction. But it's purposeful because I want to position us, I want us to be in a position where we can truly hear. We can know what God desires for us, where it's not just us making it up based on what we think we can do, but that we can hear clearly from his word and from God's spirit, this is what I want for you as a body, as a faith family. So I ask that you would join me in that, that I believe that if we fast, if we pray, and we meditate and memorize God's word, then he will change us for his glory and for our good. 
So today we're in Psalm 1 though. So if you have your Bible and if you haven't turned there, go ahead and turn there. The opening song in God's book of songs sets the stage for the rest of the book of Psalms. And oddly enough, Psalm 1 answers the question that every person on the planet asks. What does it mean to be happy? That's what this psalm asks. The word bless in verse 1 is the word happy. And every person in every moment of their life is asking the question, how do I obtain happiness? Right? That if you ask someone the question, what do you want in life? Some people might say, well, I want to provide for my family. And that's not a bad thing. Um, Some people might say, I want to make a difference in the world. That's not a bad thing. But what's the root? What's the root of everything that we want? Every person wants to be happy. Every person wants to be satisfied in this life. We want to be happy, and honestly, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But incidentally, the majority of research shows that one in three people, one in three, actually say that they're happy. One in three. Most people are very unhappy. So let's ask the question, what does it mean to be happy? Psalm 1 tells us, and it's a great place to start these next seven weeks as a faith family. Psalm 1 starts by telling us what happiness is not, is not what the happy person does not do. So verse 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, not nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. So the psalmist opens the psalm by saying there is a path, there is a place that the person who is happy does not go. And he uses the image of walking that all throughout the psalm we are presented with two different paths, two different destinations. And it's important to ask the question, why? Why does God give us the imagery of walking? Why does he give us this imagery of a path? And I think it's because whether we want to admit it or not, whether our life looks like chaos or not, we are all wired to walk through life with a destination in mind. We all do this. Every day, we make decisions that have a destination in mind, where you want to eat a meal, whether that's at home or somewhere to eat, whether you want to get a lot of stuff done because you want to have fun doing something else in the evening, right? Whether you have people coming over, so you set the destination, I'm going to clean my house to get ready for all this, or you make the decision to not clean your house, and still have everyone come over, right? You, you have the freedom to make that decision, but we all make decisions every day with a destination in mind. And here he begins by saying there is a path, there is a place that the happy person doesn't walk. And the first place the happy person doesn't go is to the counsel of the wicked. And that word counsel, it's an important word. It's suggesting that there is a group of people who want to advise where you should walk, a group of people that want to tell you where you should go, a group of people that want to affect the destination of your life, that there is an enemy that wants to influence your destination. So let me ask you, let me ask you, what or who do you allow to give you counsel in your daily life? Who or what do you allow to give you counsel? In other words, When you think about the things and the people that have influence in your life, who do you think of? Who do you think of? What do you allow for your mind to be filled with? Because I can tell you, some of us, including me, have allowed the counsel of something like the news to have way too much influence over our minds, right? 
Right? It's one thing to be informed, but it's a whole other thing to lose sight of the hope, grace, and mercy of God because a news channel has told us to think a certain way. Some of us have bought into the counsel that the only thing that matters in this life is our money. So we punch the clock, and we make things happen, and we move pieces around, and we forget about our own soul and our families because we're so focused on the destination of comfort with our money. And the reality is that if you listen to the counsel of the wicked, of the one who is opposed to God, if you listen to the counsel of someone or something that is opposed to the purposes of God, then the reality is it will not lead to happiness. But that's where temptation comes in, right? Because so many times we think that if I do this, if I go down this path, then that will lead to happiness. And the enemy grabs us and says, look, if you go here, if you listen to this advice, if you listen to this counsel, you will find happiness. And here he's saying the happy person does not listen to that counsel. If you listen to the counsel of the one who is opposed to God, then what's going to happen? You see it here. It's going to change your affections. It's going to change your desires. So if you listen to that counsel, then you will stand in the way, the path of sinners. If you fill your mind with the things that are opposed to God, then you will begin to go down the path of someone who does not know God, right? And before you know it, and you, you've, many of us have been in this place, or you've known people in this place, where you're sitting in a seat, and all the things that, that you once knew to be true, you don't believe anymore. And when you look around, you go, how did I get here? How did I get here? Little decisions, little compromises, as you move away from the things of God, and you move in towards, towards a place that says, who cares about God? And you walk down this path, and before you know it, you get to a place where you're like, I don't even know how I got here. Everything is chaos. Everything is different. Little compromises that influence your destination. So if that's not the path of the happy person, then what is the path of the happy person? Verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now think about this. Think about all the things that this verse could have said. It could have just paralleled the first verse. Blessed is the one who walks in the path of righteousness, or blessed is the one who walks in the path of the Lord. But God chooses to say, blessed is the one who delights, finds joy in, finds hope in, and he says, the law of the Lord, that the happy person would meditate on, think on, consider the words of God, and specifically that person meditates on the law. So I want to talk about that for a second. Why does God specifically mention the law here? How? How? Does focusing on the law bring delight? Right? Because you don't think about how that stop sign says stop and how that brings you so much joy, right? Like, how does this make sense? How does thinking on the law bring us joy? Well, the law reveals three things. The first thing that the law reveals is it reveals who God is and it reveals who we were intended to be, when you hear that law, don't compare it to a law that a government entity would make, like a king or a senator. Biblically, the law is a reflection of God's character. It's an expression of his nature. So just take the Ten Commandments, for example. When God says, don't lie or bear false witness, he says that because why? He's not a liar. He 
does not lie. Our God is a God of integrity. He will never lie to you. He is a God of truth. And so the law is meant to reveal to us who God is. God is not a liar. Now, the intent of the law is not only to reveal God's character, but it's also intended to reveal our intended nature. That in the garden, in Genesis 1 and 2, we were not liars. We weren't. Before Adam and Eve ate from the forbidden fruit of the tree, they were not liars. They were made in the image of God and enjoyed fully God's presence, unable to lie. They were sinless before a holy God. So when God says, do not lie, he is revealing to us our intended nature as well. In other words, he is saying, I do not lie, and you were made in my image, therefore you shall not lie. So if you do lie, it not only violates my character, but it also violates your intended nature. And it can be tempting to think of the law of God as these rules that God made just so that we could have a moral code, so that we could be morally good people. But that's a shallow way to think of the law. The law of God dives deep into who God is. It reveals who he is. Why? Don't lie. Why? Because he's not a liar. He will never lie to you. And you, I don't know if you knew this, You were not created to be a liar. You weren't. You were not created to be a liar. And the second thing the law reveals is the law reveals our sin. Because attempting to not be a liar always reveals that you are what? A liar. Attempting to follow the law always reveals that you cannot follow the law. So our failure to follow the law reveals our sin. And the law ultimately always leads to death under the curse of sin. We will always be found guilty. We will always be condemned. We will always be separated from him. And so because we are incapable as a sinful people to keep God's law, we are condemned and thus cannot fully know God. Are you tracking? Here's the third thing the law reveals. The law, in light of that, reveals the saving grace of our Savior. The law reveals the saving grace grace of our Savior, because the law was never meant to save us. It wasn't. We can't keep it. We can never be righteous, and so we'll never be able to fully know God. So what happens? What's the solution then? Well, you actually see the solution in the law law itself. When we fail to keep the law of God, God demands that an innocent sacrifice be made in order to have forgiveness of sins. And so what the law does is it points us. It points us to the one who has fulfilled the law on our behalf, that Jesus stood in the middle between our sin and the holiness of God, that Jesus came from perfect heaven to broken earth and he lived a perfect and sinless life. He kept the law of God. And he died as an innocent sacrifice so that we might be blessed, so that we might find our happiness in worship of him so that we might look and say, yes, I believe you. I believe that you died. I believe that you rose from the grave. I believe that I could never do this on my own and that I need you. And in those moments, we are filled with happiness, true, real happiness. So how does delighting in the law bring us happiness? Because it leads us to our Savior. It leads us to worship him. So we spend our days meditating and considering the law, the words of God. And what's so cool 
is that what happens is if you're in Christ, Christ has sent his helper. The spirit has come. And the spirit is in you making sense of the things that make you happy. Right? As you delight, what, why are you able to delight? Because the spirit says, look. Look. Look at who he is. Look at how good he is. Look at how much better he is. And then, what happens to the person that delights in the law? Verse 3. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. If I said, hey, go plant this tree in some salt, you would be like, what? That tree's not going to grow. Planting a tree in salt makes no sense. Why? Because it does not fit the design of how a tree flourishes. So when the psalmist the psalmist is saying here is that God has designed you, he's designed you to flourish, to bear good fruit, to prosper. And the person that focused their, their mind and attention on the things of God, that person fits God's intended purpose for their life. And when we fit into God's intended purposes, we find happiness. We're like a leaf that does not wither. God designed a tree to be planted in good, seed, good soil. He designed a tree to be planted by water. It's a need water, and it's no different for us. We need him. We need his word. We need to be led by his spirit. He designed us to delight in him. He designed us to find our joy in him. He designed us to worship. It's when we do that, we find our intended happiness. And as you happily worship God, you inevitably bear good fruit. And many of you people know people like this. Right? Do you know someone in your life that every conversation you have with them, every time you talk with them, it's like they ooze, <laughs> ooze out the word of God in the spirit. Where every time you walk away with them, you feel like, man, God just placed them in my life for a purpose. That I was meant to talk with them today. You know people like that? That there are people who they are builders. Right? They, they are just, God has gifted them with building people and we need more of that because the reality is humans, we are really good at tearing down. We're really good at pointing out faults. But man, what if we had a room, what if we had a faith family full of builders, right? That every time, every conversation you have with someone, the goal was, man, I want to ooze out the Holy Spirit. I want to ooze out the words of God. That's a really weird way to say that, but you get what I'm saying, right? That, that when we come into conversation with one another, we walk away and we are just built. We're built up to know who God is. That the goal of this place is not to tear each other down. It's not to tear, tear down the way that we do things. I mean, it is to build one another up. That when people come by us or when we talk to someone else, we would say, man, that person is rooted in his word, rooted in the spirit. And that's my prayer for us. Psalm, verse four, the wicked are not so. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. A chaff is the little dead husk around the grain. I don't know if you knew that. A chaff is that little dead husk around the grain, and it's the most opposite from a tree that you can be. It's so weightless, it blows away with the wind. It's dead. It produces no value for anything, and that's the contrast here. That the person who seeks God, who delights in God, who meditates on the word of God, that person is enduring. 
That person bears fruit. That person is happy, but the person who doesn't, who says, I don't care about that, the person who says, I'm going to live my life the way that I want, that person is dead. And that's a scary indictment here. That's a scary indictment, that the person who walks in the way of the wicked is dead. They are not enduring. When life gets hard, they show their lack of fruit. When life gets tough, they run to the counsel of the wicked. They are dead. And that's why he says in verse 5, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, that when the day of judgment comes, the one who does not delight in the law of God will not be included in God's congregation of everlasting life. Man, in, in my prayer, as we think about being released into the world, is that we would feel the weight of that. We would feel the weight of those that we work with. We would feel the weight of those in our family. We would feel the weight for those in this city that do not know him, that are lost, blinded, and confused, and that we would, as one body, say, let's go. Let's bring them the joy and hope of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, though, but the way of the wicked will perish. And you see clearly here the two paths. For the righteous, God knows you and he will save you. But for the wicked, God will cast you away. And if you notice, the first word of this psalm and the last word are very purposeful. If you look in your Bible. The first word and the last word are, are it's like that on purpose. The first word is blessed and the last word is perished. God is communicating there are two types of people. The person who will know and experience happiness, the blessed person, and the person who will perish. And it would be good to remember that Jesus didn't point to a path, right? He just didn't point to a path and say, if you walk down that path, you will have life. What did he say? He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the path. So the question that we have to ask is, which one will we be? The one who walks down the path that says his glory is my destination are the one who walks down the path and says, no, I am determined for my own destruction, for my own perishing. That may we be a people who delight in him, who find our worth and value in who God is and who he has called us to be.